Welcome to Stories of Expansion, created by Gosha Gona and me, Wun Tan. This podcast shares inspiring expansion stories. We speak to amazing guests who have turned the biggest challenges and fears into blessings for themselves and others. We will be exploring how they've overcome their personal and business challenges to create a bigger impact and make a difference in the world. We will learn how they have survived and blossomed in times of challenge. We believe that the world needs us more than ever before. It is time to stop procrastinating and playing small. Let's show up more fully and achieve what we're here to do together. most amazing woman who I've met a few years ago Um, and Miliana was sitting across in the room and we were attending a meeting um, with the the Association of Transformational Leaders and everybody was going around the room and introducing themselves and she said hi my name is Miliana and I am the strongest woman in Croatia and I could pick you up with one hand and put you in the air like that (laughs) and everybody laughed and she's only small tiny you know Um, and I was thinking to myself how is that possible but when I saw your muscles Miliana and I saw how strong you are it was quite amazing because you you're so beautiful you're like the embodiment of femininity gentleness and softness and yet you are so powerful and so tough like a goddess okay and um so then when we got to know each other and i realized that this strength the physical strength didn't just come out of nowhere you worked on it to overcome the childhood trauma the eating disorder the ptsd the war trauma all of that and I can't wait to interview you, my darling. So welcome on Stories of Expansion. Thank you so much, Gosha. I am um, super excited to be with you here today because just like you, I felt an immediate soul connection with you and your wonderful, big and playful spirit. Um, I really recognize how you are shifting really deep stuff with a lot of lightness and help people move into healing. And that's something very unique. So um, I'm very, very happy to be here with you and with your listeners. So before we get into the, um, the challenges that you've experienced in your life uh, from the, the earliest sort of few years of your life when you were a child, can you tell us what do you actually do right now? Who are you? I am a, a coach. Mm-hmm. I am, sometimes I call myself a guide and a shadow dancer, meaning I help people overcome very deep and dark stuff and help them get into light and into lightness and help them make a firm decision that they came here to make an impact in the world, mm-hmm. that they matter, that the message matters, 
And I love helping people heal traumas, limiting beliefs. I help athletes uh, receive uh, or achieve measurable results. So from making mistakes at competitions to winning gold medals, like in mm-hmm. a short-term frame, because it's, it's, it's the mindset. Um, I help uh, mainly women overcome eating disorders because it's more prevalent in women. And so I, uh, I work as a top performance coach, as a career coach, as, um, you know, different ways in a trauma resolution coach. Mm-hmm. That's truly my, my passion. Uh, it's one, one of the things that I do. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Okay, my darling. So can we um, now go back to the early stages of your childhood? How uh, would you describe your childhood? I think it was pretty normal-ish. Mm-hmm. Till uh, till the war hit, so I was probably six years old when things started happening. Well, and then looking back, actually, it wasn't normal because there was domestic violence, mm-hmm. emotional abuse, and I was witnessing uh, many times some horrendous things uh, that were done to my mother, and so I ended up with um, with trauma from that. Mm-hmm. Um, our house was bombed twice, and until today, to, until today, I can't remember what happened. Mm-hmm. You know, my, mm-hmm. my subconscious mind has suppressed it. I don't have to remember it. But what I know is it created kind of like, you know, PTSD symptoms that I later realized I had, which was sweaty hands when I was outside, hypervigilance, uh, being afraid of the world. Um, you know, with the, the domestic violence, I was afraid of relationships and men. I would push everybody away. So there was just a lot of, a lot of fear, a lot of fear, a lot of fear and a lot of sadness. Mm-hmm. And then um, I, was, uh, I was a fat child. I was the only... I was the only fat kid in the kindergarten. Oh my God, you were fat. I cannot imagine this. Oh my God. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and I was heavily, I was heavily bullied by, by everybody. So oh. there was not one, one person in the world that kind of accepted me the way I was. Like, you know, from family members uh, that teased me, kids that teased me, called me, you know, fat pig. And, you know, oh and then God. we went into Germany and we were war refugees and it continued there. And so when I was 12, I, uh, I developed an eating disorder. I became bulimic, which is kind of the normal age to for a teenage girl to start becoming body aware and move. So I had a lot of self-hatred and um, was bulimic for about 13 years. For 13 years? Yeah, one, three, yeah. Oh my goodness me. Uh, that's a quite a long time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and uh, you know, I'm not alone. There's, there's women that yeah. have 20, 30, 40 plus years of eating disorders. Wow. And in fact, some some of the people I, I got to know, they, they had eating disorders and they didn't realize they, they had an eating disorder. Is it possible? Yes. Um, yes, we can look at it as disordered eating. Um, mm-hmm. We can look at it from a place of uh, we think something's wrong with us. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, well, why have, do I have these unusual cravings? And then we overeat and then we go back mm-hmm. on diet. So we kind of think it's normal because the diet industry has made it look normal and it made it look abnormal for our body to be hungry. Mm. So how serious was it? I mean, because sometimes it can get like really, really, really serious, like life-threatening. Well, it was pretty much on a daily basis for me. Um, Mm. I was, let's, let's say I was lucky, meaning Mm. I still have my teeth. And yes, beautiful teeth. Yeah, they're still, they're still there, but you know, others were not very lucky. They had to replace their entire teeth, which is, you know, and health, health thing, and it's very expensive. Um, but more so, it was, I think, the emotional drain. I had a lot of body dysmorphia. Body dysmorphia is when, even when you, let's say, lose weight, you, yes. you still see yourself as fat. Like a lot of anorexics would have that. Okay. You could tell them, like, you're just skin and bones. But in their head, they have this self-image 
of like, no, I'm fat, no, I'm fat. And the dialogue follows that. So I had a bit of that as well. Okay. So overcoming and being becoming free of those mental mental anguish was also yes. part of my healing. And can I just sort of imagine a day of someone who suffers from eating disorder? What, what, I mean, it's a bit of a silly question, but what did you allow yourself to eat? How much? Well, it really depends what type of, you know, disordered eating or eating disorder you have. Um, you know, some people are just binge, uh, binge eating. So they mm-hmm. eat as much as they can. And mm-hmm. then they have days and days or weeks of uh, to diets restriction a lot of athletes have that like i work with a lot of athletes i work with a lot of doctors nurses um eating disorder is interestingly um a lot of highly intelligent people have it and it's a first world problem oh, that's the paradox of choice the paradox of choice and the high pressure of looking like photoshop people in the magazines that don't even look like that in real life yes Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, it could be, it, there's a lot of secrecy around it. Uh, there's a lot of, um, there's a false belief that we are the only ones. But here's, here's a st- stat, like 38% of gymnasts have a shape or form of eating, of an eating, eating disorder. Okay. But ballet dancers, competitive athletes that are having to make a, a weight category. I worked with uh, quite a few men as well that uh, they just thought like I'm the only one is this the only thing happening to me and then they have those kind of diets diets diet and then they get out of control and they binge and then Uh they gain a lot of weight and then they lose the weight and they gain a lot of weight as well Uh so 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 like how was it for you like what what did you typically eat during the day or a week and Um, did you also binge I binged that I purged yeah yeah so Uh that's what uh, what Uh Linux would do so um it really, like if, if it was a phase of, uh, you know, quote unquote, being restrictive, it would be yes. kind of low, cal- low calories, as little as possible. Don't eat as much. Uh, try not to eat breakfast. Um, you know, surprisingly, people that have an eating disorder very often don't eat breakfast. Mm-hmm. So just you, you start noticing just, you know, very, very interesting patterns when you start realizing, hey, nothing's wrong with me. I just bought into the mm-hmm. diet industry's BS. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, what I would eat is like, depending if I want to get rid of it, I would eat something high caloric that I would not allow myself. I would uh-huh. eat cakes, bread, pizza. So something that I would only quote unquote, allow myself to eat it if I knew I'm going to get rid of it. Mm-hmm. And then uh, many years ago, I found a study that did, that we did on bulimic women. Yes. And so they took 20 or 30 bulimic women and scientists would you know, encourage them, okay, binge as much as you can, eat as much as you can. And so we're going to measure the calories that you ate. And then straight after a purge. And so the scientist, you know, took the purge and measured the calories. Yes. How much they ate and how much they were able to eliminate. Yes. 40 to 75% of calories stayed in the body. Oh my God. Even though they immediately purged. That's right. You know why? Why? Because our body is so smart and number one role of our body is survival. So if you start first time purging, second time or do something to lose weight first time always easy then our body gets smart and it's going to go into straight absorption and then you you start realizing oh well no wonder i'm always kind of like the same weight and i never lose more it's because your body absorbs it either way oh that's interesting so i realized that was a pretty silly weight loss strategy and it made sense because it didn't work i over exercised i used exercise to punish my body so it was just very 
very self-punishing um, because I was still this wounded child that was never accepted. And I was in my head still this, you know, fat child that needed to be perfect to be loved. So how did it all stop? Because you were in your 20s. Uh, you said you were, you were in your 20s when you mm-hmm. suddenly obviously found a way to, to, to deal with it. And at what age did you turn into sport and you started becoming an athlete? I was, a, I was an athlete since I was a kid. So I was, okay. I was I trained gymnastics since I was maybe four or five years old. And then I trained kickboxing since I was seven or eight. Mm-hmm. And um, I was a kickboxing champion and bulimic at the same time. So, oh my god! Yeah, we can yeah. be we can be total accomplished things. Like people with with eating disorder are perfectionists. Yes. And here's an interesting thing that I found in the study as well is that people with an eating disorder eating disorder actually have a stronger willpower than yes. quote unquote average people. And so their body has to fight back with urges uh-huh. to survive. And so when I was about 25, I think it was, it was a very dark period. I lived, I moved to a different continent and I thought, oh, moving to a different continent was going to solve my problems because I'm I'm moving from Europe to Australia. Yeah. And interestingly, I just took myself and my problems and my mindset and my eating disorder with me. Yeah. And then um, I was, I was working on a radio. I was a radio host, radio trainer and presenter. And I was listening to one of my colleagues interview um, my, my first mentor. His name is Gary De Rodriguez. He's, um, he was teaching in Australia, now he's in the US. And he was speaking, he studied uh, he, and he taught HNLP, which is Humanistic Neurolinguistic Psychology, which is spiritual NLP. It's about healing and transformation, which mm-hmm. I absolutely love. It resonates much more with me. And I heard him speaking about language upgrades, speaking about it makes a huge difference when you move from I have to, I must to I choose to. I'll think about it. I get to mm-hmm. from I can't to um, let me find a way. Who can I ask? So just that kind of the language upgrade, which was literally the secret of maintaining positive change. Mm-hmm. When you go to many seminars and you have the kind of high afterwards and a few weeks later you snap back. Mm-hmm. into your old habits it's because your internal dialogue didn't change mm-hmm, mm-hmm. one of the reasons yeah or or your self-image and so i was listening to him like wow this is fascinating and so i invited him to be one of my guests because i had a few radio shows and so i interviewed him and the mindset and uh, he had no idea i had an eating disorder and being surrounded in that mindset and i was able slowly to let go of self-hatred increase choose and you know uplift my identity my self-image Okay. And a side effect of that mental change, yeah, that spiritual change, I forgot to do my eating disorder. <gasps> That's fascinating. You forgot. I forgot. You don't forget. That is like you know, heroin junkie forgetting to shoot up the veins. Like it yeah. was it was a daily thing, a few times a day. And so like those gentle shifts and letting letting go and see myself as more than that, more than my body. And allow myself to eat. I would allow myself to eat multiple times a day. And a few days passed. I'm like, oh, I forgot to do that thing. How interesting mm-hmm. is that? You know, like that was, I, I, I still remember it because it was such an aha moment. And how did it feel not to need to eat and vomit? How did it feel? Very freeing because, you know, in, in that moment and during those times, it was, it was pretty much the biggest source of, of shame. Okay. 
because you know accomplishing things out in the outside world and then having this deep dark secret mm-hmm. and so shame keeps it alive really mm-hmm. the moment you can speak about it and you realize it's not a big deal a lot of people have it and it's a side effect of uh, it's a side effect of the diet it's a it's a side effect of us restricting and dieting so heavy that our body gives us those urges and then we overeat and we think something's wrong with us. So we have to get rid of it. It's, it's a vicious cycle that actually starts with diets. Mm. And then you realize, wow, I never had to manipulate my body. My body would have stayed and maintained the same when I, if I would just allow it to, you know, eat adequately, eat reasonably, eat with joy. Wow. Eat with joy. What, what would you say was the, the lowest point in this journey from getting the, the eating dis- disorder and then slowly coming out of it? What was the, the darkest, the, the, the lowest point? Gosh, it was, a, it was a choice between life and death. I was, ready, I was ready to end it all. Okay. At which point? That was just, when, just before I found those little glimpses of light. Uh-huh. The right books, the right teachers. It was really a question of, you know, what's the point? Mm-hmm. Like, I, it was really a question, can I be happy? Because, you know, in my life, I couldn't. My, my central nervous system was fried. I, I had yes. multiple traumas. I had a very negative, um, you know, now, now I can look at it from a different lens. But it was um, a very unsafe upbringing. Not only were uh, I was our house bombed, we had to flee and be refugees in Germany, but also internally, my family was very abusive. Mm-hmm. And so, um, realizing that, like, wow, I, when I when I started doing this work of, of mm-hmm. self healing and being coached, I realized I did not have one positive, a pure positive memory. It was all kind of a bit of stained with mm-hmm. pain. And so I thought, okay, that's interesting. And I realized I'm not, the only, I'm not the only one. So what used to be my biggest shame, what used to be like, wow, that's, I'm, like, I had this eating disorder, is, has turned into a gift. Like I help uh-huh. others overcome the same. And they trust me because like, they tell me like, oh, I'm doing this and that. I feel so ashamed. I'm like, hey, no worries. I've done the same thing. Okay, what, what else is happening? Let's go into solution. It's like, okay, I can show you how to get out of this. No worries. Wow. So obviously... In some ways, we could say that it was meant to happen. So you could end up being this amazing change maker and healer on this planet and help all those people. I, w- I was going to say all those women, but obviously uh, it's not and only men. women and, and men. men. Yeah. What would you say percentage wise? How, how many men um, versus women would percentage wise yeah, would turn into this eating disorder? Um, well, it is mainly women. Um, very little men. Um, there could be some disordered eating, like uh-huh. overeating, getting some weight and lo- losing. But um, again, scientifically, I've read a study, it's mainly uh, women and homosexual men. Oh, okay. That's interesting. Because there's a huge pressure to look a certain way. Yes, of course. And if we don't look a certain way, we're almost kind of like pushed away out of the society. Mm-hmm. So that's, yeah. that's the study that I, that, that I came across. So... So darling, now let's, let's move into this sport thing. And h- how did it happen that you've become uh, the strongest mm-hmm. woman in Croatia? Did you aim to do that? And how much did you have to um, practice to be able to pick up a big, tall man with one <laughs> hand? 
Yeah, great question. Well, as I was in sport pretty much my whole life, um, I also have the the good genetics. You know, I'm shorter, so I got you know I'm, I'm a mesomorph, so I have more muscle. Um, just looking from a genetic standpoint, and I, I was a personal trainer and a fitness instructor as well before after I became after I was a kickboxing and kickboxing champion. And um, being part of in personal training, I um, I had to start lifting weights. Like it was probably my late twenties that I first time kind of touched weights, because I had a misconception, like many women do, that oh I don't want to lift weights, I don't want to be big, I don't want to get get huge, I'm going to get so like big muscles. And it's so fascinating that most women have that misconception, but it's completely incorrect that you can't get huge. Like you have to train 10 years to become huge and you have to use like illegal drugs to, to be that. So it's a misconception. So anyway, I started lifting and um, my, uh, my husband was teaching me how to do deadlifts. And after about three weeks, like it's basically lifting weights off the floor and then dropping it back down. After about three weeks of just following a program, I was able to lift 100 kilos off the ground. Mm-hmm. And he's like, do you know how you're freakishly strong you are? I'm like, I don't know. So kind of that kind of started, <laughs> like, okay, I guess, I guess I'm strong. And then um, 2013, during our honeymoon, we were traveling Europe, and we came to split Croatia, where we now live. So we came to a honeymoon, never left. And there was the, the national team for Olympic weightlifting very close to where we live, like literally across the street. And there was the national trainer, selector. And um, I was, you know, my husband was training weights because he's a professional boxer. And I just joined him and did my squats in the background. And the coach was observing me. I'm like, huh, you look pretty strong. Let's test your strength. I'm like, sure. And so I could squat 90 kilos mm-hmm. first, which is for, you know, 50 something kilo woman, pretty big. First time ever testing. And so he's like, hey, do you want to train? you know, we'll teach you technique. And so I started training Olympic weightlifting and the technique is a really, it's, it's a, it's a really challenging sport, really challenging. It, it tests your nerves as well. And after about a few months, I did my first competition, totally scared, knees weak. And then I reached out to my coach and I'm like, I'm getting nervous at championships. Let's do something. So we did a process of getting into my success strategy and I used uh, power anchors so that I get my best results at competitions. The next mm-hmm. competition, I set new national records that were standing for 12, 12 years. I started going to world championships to like Kazakhstan, wow. um, European championships. And then I went into powerlifting and I lifted um, the absolute weight that any woman lifted ever in Croatian <gasps> history. With me goosebumps. What was the, what was the weight? Um, my best bench press, so this off the lift, was 82 and a half kilos with a pause. My best squat is 125 in a competition. And my best deadlift is 140 or 141. Yeah. My goodness. So you could easily pick up two people in which hand yeah, <laughs> and pick them up and throw them in the air. <laughs> oh, my goodness me. Did you ever have to use this to protect yourself, like um, in any sort of crisis situation? You know, I was thinking about if ever something like that happens. I was always thinking the wise thing would be I would just either leave or get away from that situation. Mm-hmm. I was just thinking from a place of let's, like, what would be wise? Do I know that the other person has a weapon? Mm-hmm. You know, and um, I would tap into that intuition and that wisdom is, you know, yes, I, you know, I'm strong, but I want to, I rather want to be wise. 
Yeah, absolutely. Lucky. And also, you know, I want to get, uh, show with you a story. When I was very young, I was a teenager, I got into judo and I absolutely loved it. But I was going to, um, I was studying it uh, without permission from my parents. So I, I remember I took my earrings out and we were taught by then um, the police force and they were called militia, yeah. And but it was the communistic era, and my father was obviously very against uh, communistic organizations. And when he <clears throat> discovered discovered that I was going there, he was very angry with me, and he forbid me to, to to go there. Not because he thought it was bad for the young woman to have those abilities, but because of who taught this. They they, they were just like assholes and. Um, terrible people and we should not not actually have anything to do with them so I was heartbroken devastated and um, very disappointed but I've learned a few things and I, I was and my brother um, he was also uh, training I don't know the name of it when you it's not judo but you, you just get on the floor and you wrestle it's like wrestling, wrestling. yeah wrestling yeah jiu-jitsu that's right and he was training on me when he came home <laughs> instead of you know like like the i don't know the plastic thing he was actually using me so i've also learned something from him so then when the boys at school pissed me off <laughs> i would actually beat them up a bit oh gosh now you remind me i used to do the same i forgot about that so elementary school yeah i used to i used to five of the boys too <laughs> there we go yes but I, and one day we were in the, but we we're still in the same school with my brother we sort of like high, higher um years and uh the, the, those two boys they pissed me off and i took one boy in one uh, one hand and the other one in the other hand and i kept on sort of uh turning run 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 and it was like put me down put me down and my brother came and he rescued them and he said this is i'm teaching you all those things that not to beat anybody up it's just between you and me you know and my bra my father now i'm just remembering all of this my father was a tailor but he was into boxing and he and in um he actually made gloves like boxing gloves and when my mom wasn't around he did the contest in the in the in the room and go one two three start and we were basically boxing with my brother so i had the boxing after judo wrestling so now it's all coming together you know, I nobody, as, as I said, like nobody fucked about with me when I was in school. I was never afraid of anybody. Uh, on contrary, I didn't bully anybody, but nobody, you know, would dare to piss me off. So that's the the blessing of my father being my father. And yeah. um, and, and and but but what what's actually quite interesting then when later on when I came to England when I before I sort of uh, I, I was in my twenties, I started going to judo again. And I went to the first class and was only men there, big, tall, in the 40s. And I was a bit spooked by that. But um, after the first session, when I was going home, it was late. It was 11 o'clock. It was like Brixton area, like a dangerous area. I felt so powerful <laughs> that, you know, uh, that I, I just basically knew that because I felt so powerful, nobody will touch me. So can you talk a little bit about the the inner strength how that radiates and how that affects the, the people outside you explain it beautifully gosha like that's exactly what happens is um very rare i would be attacked as well same as you 
And that is the side effect of, of doing something to feel really strong from the inside. And martial arts, it's really about the inner discipline. It's about inner strength. And if something happens, you know what to do. Mm-hmm. Bullies can smell that. Uh-huh. Bullies can smell that. And even if you, let's say, have a poker face and there's just like you feel weak inside and you're afraid, bullies can pick who is a fantastic victim. Yeah. How do they know that? What do you think? They did a research. Um, they did a research, and I think I've seen, seen an article on uh, the Hay House website uh, about how to really be bully-proof and bulletproof. And um, it's micro-gestures. Uh-huh. It's body language. Uh-huh. It um, could be even hormones, pheromones. Could be, you know, something is, like, it's basically, you can see yeah. who you should not attack. Example. Alpha male would very rarely attack another alpha male. You just kind of divide the territory and you are, you know, leading your area. You can see the animal kingdom. Yes. Same thing. If, if you as a man or a woman choose to do something to strengthen yourself from the inside, and martial arts is again, very fantastic to do so because, you know, you can use your physical body to go into a powerful state. Mm -hmm. And then on the side, like every top athlete has a mental coach. They know mm-hmm. techniques, how to get themselves in a powerful state. And so no one's going to mess with you because they know there's a, a risk of being injured themselves. Mm-hmm. That's right. So you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. So if you're listening to this, uh, go to martial arts cl- class. Yeah. I think every, every woman should actually learn absolutely. self-defense absolutely. at a very early age. And, and then I, I think you, you would have a positive effect on the mind, body and spirit, essentially. And, and darling, I, I wanted to ask you if there is anybody who, who is listening to us, who is suffering from it, eating disorders, um, or maybe he's got a daughter or a son mm-hmm. who is su- suffering from it, what would you say would be the, the, the three most important things or one most important thing for people to start to do in order to heal themselves quickly because for some the healing is a very long journey but i know you're doing it very quickly so what would be the suggestion for them well number one is is realizing that nothing is wrong with you mm-hmm. and that it's a side effect of a diet so really kind of realizing that you can be free from eating disorder and not touch any of your traumas in the past. Mm-hmm. Same thing is realizing the, the science of, um, of our physical body, of our metabolism, that the more we go on a diet, the more we cut out food and cut out food groups, the more we crave it. Mm-hmm. Our metabolism slows down so it can survive on lower calories. So, when you allow yourself to eat multiple times a day, eat when you're hungry, stop when you're full, realize that if you don't starve yourself, your metabolism will not get slow. So metabolism, it's, it's healable. Our body is very good at healing. Um, so number one, realizing nothing's wrong with you and that absolute freedom is possible, meaning you don't have to manage it. Like I don't have cravings anymore. Mm-hmm. My body weight is always stable. Like me, me using and me believing, you know, in the diet industry and eating disorder that I followed to maintain my body weight was incorrect. Mm-hmm. Like it's accepting that it, it's actually ineffective. Mm-hmm. And then the big, the big shift happens also with our self-image. Mm-hmm. You know, if you 
when you can do something to start seeing yourself as, you know, I can do this, there, I can be whole and complete. Um, there's some wonderful, you know, information out there, books. Like one of my favorite books is Psycho-Cybernetics by Dr. Maxwell Maltz. Mm-hmm. It's written in the 60s. It's written in the 60s by a plastic surgeon that was operating on people. You know, he would give, he would give them classically beautiful faces ears, noses, whatever. And him and many other plastic surgeons would have just this weird observation that some people with beautiful classical face would change their personality. They would become more confident. And they're like, yeah, I'm so happy with the way I look. Others have a classical beautiful face. And they were like, no, I'm I'm still ugly, but my ears Mm -hmm. are still like this. But, and they would ask the person, but you can see obviously that these are two different photos. So they realized it was a self image. Uh It's the way we see ourselves in our head. Meaning, if I see myself as an overweight, unhealthy person, and I try to do anything to go against how I see myself, always going to be a snapback. Mm-hmm. So change starts from the inside. Mm-hmm. And, and when you look into the mirror, do you actually look into the mirror and think, wow, what a beautiful woman I am. What do you feel about yourself? That's a beautiful question, Gosha. Sometimes it's neutral. <laughs> yes. So, sometimes I would have like, oh, oh, look at your hair. Oh, I need to color that regrowth. Like, you know, just those, it's very normal to have um, those, those um, you know, self-critical things, but they don't lead to an eating disorder mm-hmm. anymore or to do anything like self-harmy. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes like, oh, you look very good today. Mm-hmm. What you do? What about you? Oh, that's actually interesting. It has changed over the years because I had a terrible uh, problem with being a woman when I was young. I didn't want to be a woman. And I suppose if I have known then that it was possible to change sex when I was very young, um, I probably would have done it. Well, probably my parents wouldn't have let me, but I felt terrible as a woman. My father had a very... um, unpleasant ways of speaking to women about women and it was very traumatic and my brother he he wasn't the nicest one of all and I I actually grew up amongst boys I didn't really have females to play with so I never played with dolls in fact when I did sort of come across girls playing with dolls I didn't know what to do with them I didn't really like it was boring I wanted to play balls and you know climb the trees so I was the tomboy um, but, um, my father had very derogatory, um, you know, words to say about when I was trying to make myself pretty when I was young, um, you know, like try to put something around my forehead. He would say, what the fuck? Do you have a headache? He would say to my mom, look at your daughter. I think she's got a headache or something. So, and I think because of that over the years, I've decided to hide my breasts and hide, you know, the fact that I was a woman and took me probably my first ever makeup, very gentle, because I have very, very gentle makeup. I must have actually had it done when I was about 40. I mean, um, and and I remember I, I was working in a breast cancer clinic. And the man who would come there and he, he would teach them how to cover the, uh, you know, the, the signs of the chemotherapy and draw there on, 
eyebrows and how to how, how to make them look beautiful and i remember i asked him can i sit in in one of the sessions when i saw the transformation that he achieved in those women they were, they were crying with gratitude and they were saying oh my god i am actually beautiful while they had no hair no eyebrows no eyelashes and i was thinking fuck if that's possible for them to feel like that, maybe I can feel different. Now, I have to under, underline that I didn't feel ugly, actually, but I, I, it was horrendously neutral. And I, I was quite negative about my breasts and that I've never been fat, but I've never really thought I was feminine enough. And I still am not, but I'm okay about it now. And I think, and I went to see him for a session and he just did a few little things. Like it lasted maybe 10 minutes. And I was thinking, gosh, this is really pretty. And so most of the day when I look into the mirror, supplying, I don't have overgrown hair. <laughs> and in the lockdown, I did, you know, a few times and I was cutting it myself and I was thinking, holy shit, that looks dreadful. <laughs> and it did. <laughs> so I, I, if I have my hair cut uh, and I, you know, often I look into the mirror and I, you know what I've noticed is actually interesting. We're talking about it because we essentially talking about self-acceptance. Well, I don't want to say how old I am, but let's say I've been doing what I'm doing for about 30 years, right? So obviously I'm, I'm changing um, my, my skin changes. And even though I look a little bit like 10, 10 years younger than I really am, I still notice it. And, um, and I, when I look into the mirror, I, I say to myself, wow, well, you're getting older, but, you, but you're still looking good. Well done. And I want to capture those moments now of appreciating the way I look, because then when I'm 60, 70 and 80, well, I can only look then at the pictures and the photos. And, you know, now when I look at my photos, you know, 10, 15 years ago, I was thinking, gosh, you were so pretty. But obviously I didn't feel like that then. So I think um, it is so important. And I want you to talk about this, actually. Um, it's so important for us women to celebrate the way we look, however we look, and to also find our um, find our way because you see you've got red hair or even purple hair and and long beautiful I have short hair and I now know I mean I know I've known this for a long time that I don't really like wearing dresses I, I can't wear high heels that I am a sporty type I love short hair I look good in short hair and I've accepted it but for years you know if if someone invited me to a party I didn't think I'll be speaking about this on this podcast it was you who were supposed to be interviewed if someone invited me to a party and say it's a black tie party you know, like, could you please come? Uh, it's, there's the politician going to be the actresses. And can you please dress up? I didn't want to tell them I don't have one single dress. I don't have high heels. So I would say, oh, my God, I'm so busy. I, I, I forgot to tell you I can't come, you know, whatever. I, I lied for years. And now I would probably go in my trainers. <laughs> and people do go. So what do you think about um, how can, what can we do actually to accept ourselves even if we are fat, skinny, gray hair, wrinkled, mm -hmm. with one boob, you know, after operation? What do you think we can do to accept ourselves as women? Yeah. 
I can relate with so much what you just said, Gosha. And um, one of my favorite quotes, and I, I don't know who, who wrote it, but it says, we can't hate ourselves into loving ourselves. Mm. We can't punish ourselves into self-acceptance. We can't criticize ourselves into being okay. Mm-hmm. It's realizing that that day might never come. And very similar to you, I am... Um, so I started probably in my late 20s allowing myself to be feminine. I was supposed to be a son like you. So I was mm-hmm. wanting to be a tomboy and kickboxing. Mm-hmm. You know, I chose, I chose, chose male sports and I did well at school. Um, and um, I also had this um, belief about femininity being weak. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't want to be feminine. And so I rather want to be respected and seen as intelligent and achieved than uh, just a woman. So, and I think it's, it could be very, very much our, our culture, which is similar. And mm-hmm. uh, I, I heard very similar yes. comments about beautiful women, very derogatory. Mm-hmm. And so that inner conflict, I was able to overcome by like, what if I can be it all? And some days I'll be fully sporty and whatever. And other days, I'm going to have the reddest lipstick, the glam hair, because I can have it all. Like, what do I want? And I That's want right. to do it for myself. That's right. Like, oh, I like red lipstick. I used to wear heavy highlight, like an eyeliner and red lipstick to weightlifting championships. <laughs> and listen to this. So all the normal girls like, would be like, you know, no, just, you know, no makeup, nothing, you know, just hair quickly pulled up. And when I became the strongest woman, I was in all the media and it was wonderful, TV, newspaper, websites. And I heard from many gyms around Croatia, like, oh, we have women coming to the gym and they want to do what the red hair is doing. And I see women now going to competitions with makeup, with lipstick, with like, I used to have like warrior braids on the side, like I used to (laughs) when I did kickboxing. And I see women doing that. And so they allow themselves to be powerful and beautiful because they want to. Do you think you've started it? I was, I think it was the beginning of the wave. Yeah. Since I, when I started being feminine and strong, the, the club that I used to live for had an influx of females. Oh my goodness. So you started a big revolution in your country. I would say I was one of the first ones. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, from, from that moment on, I've seen women um, just being okay, being strong and being in the gym and feeling good. And uh, like you felt when you did judo and having that, you know, confidence, your, your posture is better. Well, here's what we know is that when you do some sort of movement, it helps you feel stronger. Like I still love weightlifting. I still love martial arts. I love yoga and Qigong as well. Like some gentle movement is we are mentally and emotionally healthier. Mm-hmm. If, if and I, and I've, I've measured it, if I don't do some sort of movement, my focus is not the way it could be. Mm-hmm. so mentally emotionally much more stable so whatever we do like with eating disorder or with exercise that i used to use to punish myself and to you know be someone for someone else i use the same thing and the meaning has shifted i move my body because i feel good when i do i like doing hard things so when something's hard at training i'm like man this is so hard and i don't feel like doing it and that's when i'm gonna do it mm-hmm. or same same thing food to either reject you know to, to punish myself, I now choose food because it helps me stay alive and live my soul mission. So the meaning can totally shift 180. Mm. 
So this is all about what meaning we give to the things that we do every day. And so mm-hmm. my, my next question is, I am fascinated by how does your day look like and how do you start your day? Because obviously um, you are a very spiritual person now. You may be the strongest woman in Croatia and kick-ass boxing champion and all of that. <laughs> but um, I want to know what do you do in the first hour when you wake up and in the last hour before you fall asleep? I sleep with my journal next to my head. Uh-huh. So um, I have a morning routine that I, that I follow no matter what. Because this is what I also encourage my clients to do. And I believe in doing what I preach. So I would wake up and I would do my meditation, my, my gratitudes, um, journaling, and um, you know, other, other techniques to, to set the intention for the day. Mm-hmm. I set my intention for the day. I um, scan what is happening in the day and how energetically I want to show up. Um, and at the end of the day, I also finish with my journal and what I'm grateful for. And um, I've got a very cool journal. Like it, it invites me, okay, what lessons have I learned? What, where did I see movement mm-hmm. in going forward? And um, then I do my work. I, I live in a very beautiful location, very close to the sea. So I like to have a walk next to the water. Um, generally very simple and, and uh, minimalistic life. We've got cats. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I love working with people all around the world. I feel truly blessed that um, I have truly found what I love doing. And um, I know this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. And just and then I, I love being active in business. And we have a few apartments and those things that are just really good fun to have um, other things happening. Um, so I'm... I'm really honored and blessed to do what I do with the people that I do. Wonderful. Oh my goodness. I could talk to you the whole day, but as we're coming to the end, I wanted to ask you one more question about intuition because you're highly intuitive. You're very psychic. And um, can you tell me uh, what does your intuition have to do with your level of success? Mm, great question. Well, an example was like, let's say a day and a half ago, Gosha, you messaged me like late at night, like, hey, you want to catch up and record a podcast? And I like half asleep. Let's do it. Because intuition was just like, it was just an, a yes. Mm-hmm. Um, very often, just having kind of this, this feeling of saying yes to certain things. Mm-hmm. And then and then going forward and, and then going forward and then realizing sometimes it doesn't turn out in the timing that we want. So mm-hmm. I get to practice patience. Mm-hmm. I get to practice um, asking for advice. Mm-hmm. I, I firmly believe that the best coaches in the world have coaches mm-hmm. and that we don't have to do it alone. I used to believe I had to do it myself. Yeah. And it was harder. It was really hard. And now, anytime I feel stuck or wobbly, I'll, I'll reach out. I'll reach out to those that I trust those that can give me a different perspective and um yeah i just know that we don't have to do it we don't have to do it alone we we are actually social beings yes we are we're tribal beings yeah 
Absolutely. And so I think we all have intuition, even like, even like it's an interesting question. I had intuition about something the other day, something little, and I didn't listen to it. Ah, and what happened? <laughs> and I just go like, oh, thank you very much. I got to confirmation that I, uh, I should listen to it. And so I, I sat in meditation and I asked, okay, um, I like using affirmative questions um, that uh, one of my wonderful colleagues, Amy, reminded me of. And I think it's from a book called Affirmations. And um, affirmative questions are basically affirmations placed as a question because then you direct your subconscious mind towards solutions. So example would be, why is it so easy and fun to hear my intuition clear? and naturally act on it and execute divine guidance? Why is it so easy to be a successful coach? Why is it so easy and fun to be in a loving relationship? Why is it so easy and fun to be in a healthy, vibrant body? Oh my God. Wow. So what, what, hap what happens is when you ask this, I, I'm experiencing immediately an expansion in my body. I'm feeling lightning. Um, I'm feeling lighter. Great. So because you've given us a very beautiful uh, tip, can we end on one uh, little um, tool that you could give us that we could do maybe every day or every few days that will truly transform our life? So you've just given us like affirmative questions, right? What mm -hmm. else? If you were to just give, you know, often people say, what is the one thing you would take if you had to live for the next five years on deserted island? Okay. So it's the same question, but like, what is the one um, tool that you would want to give to people that if you, you sort of know that if they did that every day, their life will transform completely? I would say set intentions, set specific intentions and move your body. That's the thing that I don't hear often in the spiritual world. Move your body. That's something that I think is still to be tapped into, whereas our body is the channel for our in, in, intuition. If you don't heal your traumas, your intuition goes through the filter of trauma, so you, your, your intuition can't be clear. Mm -hmm. That's right. So whenever you have like <gasps> hunches and stuff like that, that's not intuition that's here. So set intentions and move your body. And um, well, the third thing is move into healing. Mm -hmm. Reach out. Reach out to a, a coach, a therapist, a healer. Um, become certified in something. I found it was a cool way to go into fast healing is I want to learn it. I want to be a master of it. Wow. We're talking about which, because you also you work with the PTSD and you you help people to release their trauma. Um, how people can find you, um, what is the best way to to contact you, and and also do, have you written a book um, about the the eating disorder? Not a book, but um, as you, I'm part of the ATL books. Yes the transformation lessons, the 38 insights to manifest your best life. So both you and I are um, part of ATL, Association of Transformational Leaders Europe. And um, in my chapter, I speak about the eating disorder and also speak about the language upgrade. Um, really kind of very condensed thing that makes a difference. Okay. And, you know, one big thing that really makes a difference, and I know we're recording audio, but if the video is this shown, this is something 
that is a powerful word for me and that's radical, radical responsibility responsibility mm. this is uh, given to me by my wonderful uh team member and um person um coach mo is her name and uh, i work with her and for her as well with women in you know helping them bring their soul back to work um so taking responsibility for our lives is um, stepping out of the victim mentality and out of a unhealthy sense of entitlement that the world owes us something. It doesn't. The moment mm-hmm. I let that go and the moment I took responsibility for my healing and my happiness and my health, things started shifting. Wow. Powerful. So how can people find you? Oh, great question. Find me on <laughs> Facebook. I think the easiest Facebook, uh, coach.miliana. Say it again. Coach. Uh-huh. Dot. Uh-huh. Miliana, M-I-L-I-J-A-N-A. That's easy on Facebook. I've got an Instagram. I've got a YouTube. But let's, uh, yeah, the easiest is Facebook. Fantastic. And um, But your name is Miliana de, de Mori, right? So if people mm-hmm. Google you by that name, they will probably also find you. Yes? Fantastic. Yeah. Miliana, what a beautiful conversation we had. And... Um, You've touched my heart and hopefully all the people, all the people who will listen to you, particularly women, will feel the magic that you're spreading. They feel your strength, the inspiration that came through your message. And I truly feel in awe of who you are being in the world, not even what you're doing, but who you're being, because I think we women need to step into our power more but the equally to our masculine and our feminine energy. And you are the example of the most delicious combination of the masculine and the feminine. I'm just actually realizing it now as I conclude this interview, that you're a great example of the equal amount of feminine and the masculine. Thank you so much, Gosha. I love, love spending time with you and, um, I really hope whoever is listening that um, today is the day you've been waiting for. You're the one. You're the one that you have been waiting for. Yeah, absolutely. You are the one who you've been waiting for. Lots of love. Thank you. Thank you for listening. We would love to hear from you. Please share with us what you found useful and inspiring about this episode. If you know somebody who is making a big difference in the world, we should interview them. Let us know. Please drop us an email at storiesofexpansion at gmail.com.